0: Welcome to another episode of Beer is a Conversation, proudly presented by your malt mates, Cryo Malt. I'm Matt Kirkegaard, and this week I'm joined by Chris Sidwar. Chris is probably best known as co-founder of Sydney's Batch Brewing. We caught up with Chris and his partner Andrew Finneran late last year during our swing through the breweries of Sydney's Inner West. This time we chat with Chris about his new book, Brewer Batch, A Beginner's Guide to Homebrewed Beer. As a beginner's guide to getting into homebrew, Brewer Batch is a recommended read, a definite two thumbs up. But where the book really comes into its own is where Chris infuses home brewing with a wider meaning. He weaves into the guide much of his brewing philosophy and his approach to sustainability in a way that shows how small batch brewing can be, and arguably should be, part of a broader consumer movement. While these ideas are woven through the book, it's never preachy or dry, but it does lift what could otherwise be just another how-to guide and really turns it into a why-to guide. Enjoy the conversation. Chris Didwell, welcome back to Beer is a Conversation.
1: Thank you. It's good to be here.
0: Now, mate, right, the last time we spoke, it was actually uh, when the, we did a bit of a swing through uh, Sydney's inner west, um, visiting all of the great breweries there, and we had a chat with yourself and Andrew Finneran, uh, who founded Batch Brewing. This time we're having a bit of a chat with you uh, in your role as author.
1: Yes, uh, a little bit of a side project for me. It was an interesting uh, opportunity that I you know couldn't help but jump on the uh, local cafe cornersmith also has uh, a pickle shop and out of that pickle shop where they have a commercial kitchen they run some workshops so um, tomato sauce uh, kind of old school things about you know using the bounty of your harvest to to last you through a year so preservation stuff like that fermentation classes uh, and they wanted somebody to do some home brewing classes so i Um, Yeah, I wrote myself a little curriculum and and figured out how to do a uh, three-hour extract boil with some hops and and a bit of education in uh, in their workshop space. And um, from there, they were publishing a cookbook or two. And uh, their publisher caught wind of what was going on with the the homebrewing class and and thought the homebrewing book was uh, something that people needed to see.
0: And it all came out of that. Now, I guess the big question is to to get any book published. Um, I was once told you need to have something new. Um, You you know, you can't, you don't just get a, there needs to be an idea or a concept or something that you're advancing that is different to what went before. What is it about uh, Brewer Batch, a beginner's guide to home brewed beer that adds um, to what already exists in uh, in, in the world of home brew guides?
1: You know, it's, it's very much parallel to the story that we've been writing at Batch itself. Um, the two projects, while while this is sort of a side project for me, away from Batch, it's absolutely linked to everything that we've been doing for the last few years. There's some fantastic, uh, you know, local produce that's being produced here, and you know, at Batch we've been slowly uh, learning how best to use it and and to express it and its inherent flavor, and uh, that aspect of Of brewing is something that I thought was uh, unique, hasn't been really spoken about. Um, It's very, you know, it's very much discussed in in the culinary world, but it's not something that brewers have really focused on. I think because they're just so young, especially in Sydney and and Australia, they're they're relatively young businesses who are just trying to, you know, figure out their way in the world. And, you know, we've luckily matured past that point point into a point where we could stop looking at our homebrew texts for inspiration and start looking at you know the bigger picture, of the outside world, for our inspiration. So, pulling in a little bit of that uh, into a homebrewing book, I thought was something that was unique. Um, keeping in mind that this the brief that I was given was that this needed to be very much an entry-level homebrewing book. So, those that's a fairly complicated idea to present in a you know an entry-level homebrewing text, but I, I did my best to to just you know pepper the book with thoughts around you know what you should. What could what you could be thinking about as you you know grow into the homebrewing hobby?
0: And and we might come back and explore that a little bit further because I've I've picked up um, some of those themes that you 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 did weave in in and around the uh, homebrewing advice. Um, one of the things I found uh, quite interesting was in, in the introduction, you talked about that the book updated you know taking into account some of the innovations that have taken place in home brewing. And I I, I was quite struck by that idea because on one level, you know, brewing has remained fundamentally unchanged for a long time. But yet, over the last 20 years, um, you you say there's been a lot of innovation. Um, So talk about some of the innovations that you wanted to to allow for.
1: There's a lot of, I mean, obviously, if you Google homebrew equipment, you're going to find a very long, long list of of things that people, uh, you know, have engineered to to help homebrewers achieve what commercial brewers are achieving with the equipment that they can afford to use. Um, this book doesn't really get into a lot of that because that's a little bit too advanced. Um, so it's, it's sort of like pulling in the attributes of of my commercial experience that, that weren't discussed in the book that I started with, you know, hopping, uh, techniques, um, a little bit of, uh, I don't want to say carelessness, but also just an element of, of just relax. I mean, I mean, it's a, 30 or 40 year old meme of, uh, uh, relax and have a homebrew. Uh, but you know, some of the texts and some of the, some of the conversations that people are having now in the homebrew community, they get too fired up and it's just, it's all about precision and, and, uh, and trying to achieve this, this perf- perfect beer, which I mean, is a fantastic goal to have, but, um, uh, reminding people that, you know, it, it's, it's a hobby. It should be fun. You're working with the equipment that you have and the ingredients that you have. So just do the best you can with what you have. Uh, I, I thought that was, along with the hopping changes and, and, and the new yeast strains and, and all the things that you know home brewers are, are getting from commercial brewers, I thought just a nice message of, you know, use this book to get yourself started. Know that there's a bigger world out there. Uh, and have
0: some fun which i guess is a slight contrast uh for the 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 home the the slight advantage that the home brewer has versus the uh home brewer such as yourself that's gone professional because when you are putting your beers into a market you've got market expectations whereas if you're home brewing yourself you've got that great freedom of brewing selfishly i guess
1: absolutely i mean I tried to keep some notes when I was a home brewer. They were pretty shit. I didn't know what I needed to write down, so I never really um, got a good rhythm of, of note keeping. And quite frankly, I never went back and looked at them because I never wanted to brew the same thing twice. Uh, and to some degree, we've been able to keep a little bit of that energy going at Batch. Sh- but you're right. When there's a commercial expectation, consumer expectation, you, you, you have to play by a different set of rules. Uh, and in and, and homebrewing, that's, you know, that's completely doesn't exist. As long as you're happy, as long as what you make is is drinkable and you had some fun and, and um, then, you know, mission accomplished.
0: One of the things that stood out when I was uh, going through the book, which is almost uh, a departure because I've, I've made a whole lot of margin notes talking about how uh, centred and balanced your approach is. And it's not prescriptive um, and you it, it, it allows that creativity um, and you know no hard boundaries around what you're doing and with all of that um, philosophy that came through I sort of ended up making a margin note when you came to talk about styles and you, you you say thankfully generations of brewers before us have identified the many different beers into clearly defined categories. That struck me a little bit because there's also that same movement about you know categories are for competitions or categories are for bottle labels so the, the consumer knows what they're getting do those same styles really um, are, are applied to that approach um, that, that that selfish approach to brewing where um, you know, should you be confined by styles
1: uh, absolutely not absolutely not um, I think it's, it's, it's to use a music analogy like if, if you're you know really want to be a proficient musician in whatever instrument you use it you know it helps to have an ability to read music or play the piano like these foundational things so i think in brewing understanding what the styles are uh, is critical to understanding where you land with the beer that you intend to brew um to say that you've you've created something and then find out that it's been done a thousand times for a hundred years like uh it doesn't doesn't help you at all uh, so understanding what exists and, and and more than just what, but why, you know, like why is a particular beer using a particular water profile? And it's not that, you know, that brewer spent hundreds of millions of dollars researching, you know, the, the perfect balance of, of water salt additions. It's that that's what they had available to them. So, you know, these these style guidelines that we work really hard to match up to are completely arbitrary when you look at the historical perspective of you know, that Pilsner is the way it is because that's what the brewers had access to. They they weren't importing things from far off places to make their beer taste a particular way. They just used what was around the corner and and, and economically viable for them. So that's that's sort of how we've evolved at Batch and, and in my storytelling in the book is, you know, use what you've got around you to make the best beer you have and, uh, and don't worry too much about the style guidelines because they weren't written for you, they were written for... You know, or, or or the beer was made for a consumer, you know, a long time ago in a, in a market that has nothing to do with yours or where you or what you have access to. So focus on on good fundamentals, and you'll learn how to make good beer, and then you can you know, open up all the malts, hops, and yeast, and go nuts and, and have unlimited creativity. And that's and that's kind of where we've got to now with Batch, where we're messing around with all kinds of things and, and just having a great time. So I want want folks to you know, focus on what's really important of yeast and, and, and fermentation and sanitation and then and then layer in all the other fun stuff and you know, do it in the right order and, and you're gonna have great success.
0: People get involved in home brewing for a whole range of different reasons. You know, when uh, I, I was in my uh, late teens, early 20s, um, it was a little bit like uh, I, I believe you did. Um, you know, you, you're at university, you don't have a budget. Um, it's a cheap way of, of, of making uh, effective alcohol. Um, others get into it. Because 20 years ago, before the rise of the the modern craft brewery, we didn't have the styles available, and anyone that wanted to try anything other than mainstream lagers and coopers, you had to make it yourself. Yeah. These days, we have 450 uh, breweries in the country, you know, across the country. We've got an unparalleled selection of imports. Yep. Why? You know, what what is the motivation for somebody these days to you know give up you know a, a, a good part of a day to make 50 liters of the, the, the same beer you know what would your advice be to to somebody and why they should get into homebrew
1: yeah that's a really good question i mean why why would you give up a, a, your time and and for me it's it's because it's fun i i have a i have a great time when i'm you know, making beer when i finally uh do get to peel some of the business stuff away from my day-to-day and, and just focus on making beer it's, it's the best use of my time that i, I know of but it's it's a delayed gratification thing like with brewing in the kitchen if you're cooking you can taste as you go you can experience it you can put it on the plate and get people to you know feedback uh how how it is immediately you know relatively quickly um brewing's not as bad as our peers in wine and whiskey but you know two three four weeks later you finally get to taste what you've done and share it with people and it's challenging right i mean Cooking, you get lots of repetitions. you can adjust things as you go in brewing like you do it. you hope for the best, you wait until you get to taste it, and then you get that 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 payoff then. so you, you, for for folks who are you know pedantic like me about detail you you get to really hone in on things that you can control in the making of it uh, and then hope for the for the best when it comes back out the other side. Yeah, it's, it's it's just so gratifying to spend the day, you know, all those aromas, all those um, processes, uh, just this massive information to try to distill into a simple process that works in, in your brewery and with your equipment. Uh, it's, it's challenging and fun.
0: I, lo- I love it. You also talk in the book about the desire to create something that's not commercially available. It, 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 is that feasible for the beginner homebrew?
1: Yes, absolutely. Um, I, I mean just on instagram yesterday i think i was poking around watching something and somebody's you know putting fruit loops and beer and like if you could dream it up you can do it and and in the commercial space there is some of that stuff happening on the on the smaller end of town um but yeah hell i mean if you've got some crazy idea that you know only you and a couple of people are going to like then yeah doing it on the homebrew scale is, is great Put In whatever ingredient you want you can you know, go for whatever flavor you think is great, no matter how intense it is. You've got nothing holding you back except, you know, your, your own imagination. And in the brewing space, the commercial brewing space, yeah, I mean, I have to sell 20, 21 kegs. So when my brewers come up with a crazy idea that doesn't sound good at all, like, you know, Merrickville pork roll, um, I have to shoot them down and tell them to prove it to me. And, you know, oftentimes they do and they come back with a with a balanced beer that, you know, after a few homebrew-sized batches, it's fantastic. It definitely is a different set of considerations when you're brewing 20 litres versus
0: 1,200. You also say that the second uh, reason is the satisfaction you get from sharing your creations with others. And I, <laughs> I, I, homebrewers are a little bit like... Uh, you know, friends who get into homebrew can sometimes be a little bit like friends who get into Amway. <laughs> you don't always want them dropping around.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that that could be the case. Um, I dropped a little nugget at the end of this book, which I might you know uh, regret at some point when my fridge is stocked with homebrew. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously not every beer is going to taste good to every person. So you're always making a gamble when you share something. But if your if your goal is to make people happy, then then that will play into what you're what you're brewing and how you're brewing it, and making sure that you're doing the best you can so that you know the most people enjoy it if your goal is to just make something that you're going to enjoy then and that's that's fine too um but i get i get great satisfaction out of sharing my beers i uh, i have 11 month old baby and, and a very busy job but i try to work at our tasting room as often as i can and there's there's never a day that goes by working the tasting room when i don't get a a non-beer drinker that I can convert to a beer drinker. And that for me is incredibly satisfying when they, you know, they, they actually take the time to say, thank you for introducing me to something I didn't know existed. Um, And I swear it happens every single shift I work.
0: That's a feeling that I um, am very in in touch with doing the, the the number of tastings I do. Unfortunately, (laughs) I I made the decision not to, uh, to not, not, not to make my own. So I get to, uh, use the work of others and, uh, not claim credit for it, but I still get the same satisfaction from introducing people to a beer that I've selected and see their their horizons broadened.
1: Well, it's not too late to learn the homebrew. For one, and for two, I mean, yeah, it's as long as you're bringing people into the community and you know sharing something. That, that's really what it's all about. It's a great big social experiment that we're running here in the brewing world. Like, you know, everybody's so detached, and you know, you sit on your Instagram and you look at this, you look at that, and you go to the pub and you drink mainstream lager and there's nothing to be said about it because it hasn't changed since you know, 50 years. Um, you get into the craft brewing world and there's this, this depth of conversation happening around flavour and, and interest, interesting things. So it's great to bring more people into the community.
0: As you start talking about raw materials and one of the recurring themes that, that we've talked about, and even during this interview, uh, you talk about the bounty of your harvest, which is how you got into uh, writing this book in the first place. But there's a, there's a lovely introduction uh, about being a farmer's friend do you want to just tell us a little bit about that
1: yeah my journey on you know looking into and, and finding people producing raw materials on the same scale as i'm using them in my small brewery uh you know it started from um a book by a fellow named dan barber who's a chef in the states he's a very famous guy he's written you know he wrote this book that he researched over 10 years just about the evolution of, of food in america and the food culture or lack thereof or Uh, And and really about these little pockets of people who are doing things in interesting ways that are looking back at history and unwinding the industrialization of the food system and going back to, you know, growing what suits that climate, not simply because it's agronomically effective across a wider geography, but because it it grows well there. Uh, And it became, you know, 100 years ago, it was part of what people ate on a day to day basis. And there was diversity of food culture across the United States. And now, and in Australia, it's similar. The industrialization process means that you go into any Woolies in any part of the country and you get the same offering. Um, and in beer, that's happened as well. You go into you know, a generic pub in any part of the world and you're going to get a, a bland macro lager. And if you know, ABI has their way, it's going to be a Budweiser. You know, it's, it's all very generic. You, you go to the airport, you can take it past beer and into retail in general, if you go to the airport. It doesn't matter what country, and you get off the plane, and you've got the same stores. You know, you've got you know your Gucci's and, and your and your Pradas selling you stuff. And it's, again, it's like this this whitewashing of the entire you know planet into the same you know consumer um, options. So for us in, in in beer to help differentiate what we're doing and to and to feel like we're actually part of a community again, we we looked to buy our imports or sorry our inputs very, very important distinction, our inputs, um, for people who, who shared our, our ethics. And, and, um, at the time there was Gladfields, uh, growing barley and making malt in New Zealand and selling it, uh, only in Victoria. So because my brewery is in New South Wales, I couldn't get my hands on it. They, um, they are a fantastic organization. They, they originally were using their own barley and began malting it when they saw the the economics, you know, working against them of just selling malts or malting barley into uh, into the system over there. So they invested, built a malt house, took their own, you know, harvest, did a value add and and therefore had a sustainable business that they could pass on for the next few generations. But they didn't want to grow too fast, right? So they wanted to make sure that any customer they took on, they could always supply to. So rather than just get a lot of people hooked on their product and then end up not being able to service all those customers, they slowly went into different parts of Australia. Uh, Eventually, they did come into New South Wales and we started buying their product and and converting our recipes across from, um, you know, sort of industrial pale malts into some of their pale malts and And that was some toing and throwing on that process, but you know it's it's because it was important to us, we made it work very quickly and and are making you know very tasty beers out of it and then eventually we wanted to find something that was you know grown as close to us as as possible um right now, the barley system means that you know it's going from different paddocks you know in in vast geographic areas and being funneled into you know industrial systems that you know feed a malt house and then and then that gets shipped from wherever it is to a warehouse in Melbourne, and then that gets shipped from the warehouse in Melbourne up to Sydney. And by the time it gets to me, it's been on a ha- handful of trucks, lots of diesel fuel, and God knows what farmer actually grew it. Um, working with the folks that we work with now, I can, I can tell you it was grown by either Jamie, Ken, or Doug, and it came directly from where it was grown, you know, a few few caves down the road to a malting facility and on one truck to get to me. And you know that that makes me really happy. It's just connecting the food chain back up to where it was grown, how it was grown, um, and and you know hanging out with the people involved. I mean, I get to share a beer with the folks who who, who grew the barley, and that's, I mean that's incredibly satisfying for them. They'll they'll tell you that hands down. I mean they're they're in some pretty you know harsh conditions out there, and you know they're they're making sure that the world gets food. You know, in our little you know, luxury aspect, it's, it's beer, but and the grander scheme, these folks are out there making sure that every, all of us in the city, I'm sitting by the train station watching hundreds of people go to their job, and all of them need to eat something, and they're not getting their hands dirty, digging up the soil to make it happen. So we need to make sure that the farmers who do get a little bit of feedback, positive feedback, and some, some thanks. So every, every year we get to share a beer with them, and, you know, they – to know that their product went into the beer that you're actually drinking. That's that's a really fantastic cycle for me.
0: Look, there was so much in that. Um, and I know that, you, that Batch particularly really lives the philosophy that, that you've gone through. But I, I look at the, the, the comment that you made about airports, and airports are, you, you can get off a plane and not know what country you're in for, for exactly that reason. But when you talk about um, you know generic lagers uh, being everywhere, Aren't we seeing a little bit of that, you know, in in the the craft beer world as well, where, you know, I got off the plane in the UK last year and there was a bunch of New England IPAs, there was a bunch of American pale ales, and I could have been in Australia, I could have been in the US, I could have been in parts of Scandinavia and been having exactly the same beers. Is that a consumer-led thing? Because there's obviously demand for, for those same products in the craft industry and the same risk of uh, things becoming generic uh, in, in craft because can, that's what consumers want.
1: Yeah, the consumer, you know, they, they can only buy what's available to them. But, I mean, we all as consumers have so much power, we just don't even realize it sometimes. For me and my brewery bar, if I get two or three people asking for a particular beer, I'll, I'll brew it. It doesn't take much because... Most people don't ask me for anything. So on a rare instance that someone has the courage to say that was really good, I'd love to see that again, I listen. And I suspect your pubs and your bottle shops would do the same. So if consumers said, you know, it's great to have three New England IPAs, but how about we get a brown ale on tap or a hand pump beer? I bet they'd listen and the brewers would definitely love to do that. I mean, there are some breweries, obviously, there's a lot of people getting really well capitalized in brewing. They're building very big production systems, and they're uh, they're not going to be set up to be able to service you know as much variety as the consumer might want. Um, and that's going to get left to the small folks like me. Who, you know, we've got 17 tanks. We brew 160 styles of beer in the last five years. Um, we I mean, we we that's what we like to drink and how we like to drink. So that's why we set our business up that way. But yeah, I mean, if consumers don't ask for it, it won't get made, and if breweries continue to of capitalize in the way that they are to make, you know, larger volumes of beer, then, then yeah, standardization will continue to, to push into the system. So it's good to talk about it. Maybe people will, you know, think twice about it, but 50 heck brew houses in Australia are going up left, right, and center, and it's going to make a lot of XPA and a lot of, you know,
0: cheap kegs. It's funny, I, I don't know, whilst we're not talking about homebrew, in terms of Brewer Batch, uh, your book about homebrew, that's very much the philosophy that comes through. Do you think that there's a risk that if everybody does take up the homebrewing thing that you're, you're, you're losing customers?
1: I, uh, I'm i a very prolific homebrewer. I mean, I, I have been at certain points in my life and i always bought a six-pack or two to, to drink and compare against my homebrew. So no, I don't think will risk at all losing customers. I think folks who, who brew beer like to share it and they, they like to compare it against, you know, the thing that they had in their mind or, or some sort of a similar product they had in their mind. Um, when they set out to brew that and they'll, yeah, they'll, they'll keep buying beer. Uh, one of my friends in the industry said the other day that, you know, I shouldn't have written this book because now we're going to have more competition. Um, (laughs) personally, I I think he's just joking, but it's not, not a very serious threat. Um, but I I, I welcome everybody. You know, if you, if you, and and any listener out there who wants to try this, if you make a better version of my beer than I do, and I'm, know I'll shake your hand and say, thanks. Like I'm not worried about it. And I'll tell my brewers that we all need to lift our game. We've got to get better than, than everybody else. Um, It's just fun. You know, it's just a fun way to share good flavor and, Spend a, spend an afternoon.
0: Chris, uh, just before we finish the chat, anyone who's getting into homebrew, if there is one rule that you would really reinforce, um, what would you know what would that be for the beginner homebrewer?
1: Um, I've got two. It's sort of one, but it splits. It's it's make a decision on what you want to achieve. Do you just want to have some fun or are you focused on really nailing something? Um, the relax and have a homebrew, Charlie Papazian's, uh um, advice, you know that that's a perfectly good strategy. That's the one I did. Just chill out, enjoy yourself. Don't take notes. Just you know, make beer that that you're inspired to make. Uh, but don't expect to to nail the exact flavor balance if you're not taking it all that seriously. So just chill out and give yourself some slack. Or if you want to get really good at it, if you're really focused on you know making an IPA, for instance, you you need to brew the same thing multiple times. Um, It's not as much fun if you're one of these folks who want to try everything, uh, but it will teach you so much. If you make a batch of pale ale five times, you will be a very good brewer.
0: Terrific. Chris Sidwell, thank you. Congratulations on the book. Um, Thoroughly enjoyed reading it. As I said, uh, I don't really have the temperament to be a home brewer or the patience, um, but there was a lot that I got uh, out of the book, even without wanting to, uh, you know follow the recipe so and uh, no, I really appreciate it and congratulations on uh, on everything you've achieved at batch and uh, congratulations on Brewer batch
1: thank you very much I'm glad to hear that you thought people can get something out of it even if they don't aspire to be a brewer that that means a lot to me so thank you
0: and that was Chris Sidwa His book is Brew a Batch, A Beginner's Guide to Homebrewed Beer. You can get it online at the Batch store and there's a link to that in the show notes and you can also find it in bricks and mortar bookshops nationally. For our international audience, it's available in the US, UK and New Zealand and Chris even said someone had bought the rights to it in Russia. Look out for it there, comrades. You can probably buy it cheaper on Amazon, but you know what? If you do that just to save a few bucks, the point of the book is probably lost on you. And thanks to our good friends at Beer Cartel, the Letter of the Week will receive a mixed six-pack of Australian craft beer. When Brews News cast and crew are buying online, we buy at Beer Cartel. We love hearing your thoughts on the stories we cover, because beer is a conversation. And we look forward to another conversation next week.